0: Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. I asked my followers this week over on TikTok and Instagram to tell me what their unicorn behavior is. And I described a unicorn behavior as something they wish their dog knew how to do, but that they just haven't been able to teach. I got three categories of responses. I'm going to break them all down. I got one category, which was the overwhelming majority, actually, which was folks who did not tell me what their unicorn behavior was. They instead told me what their behavior problem was and what they were after is a unicorn solution. So they said, I want my dog to stop doing X. So that category of folks did not describe a unicorn behavior. They described a behavior that they already have and implied that what they wanted was a solution to that behavior. The next category of folks basically said, this is my unicorn behavior and I haven't trained it because it's actually not that important to me. Or I find it boring. Or I find it tedious. Or something along those lines. I would argue that that's not a unicorn behavior because if you don't care about it, then it's not something you covet, then it's not a unicorn. And then, of course, I did have a handful of people who just answered the question. They told me retrieves. They told me recalls. They told me downstay. <laughs> they told me loose leash walking, which was the topic of the video. I said, Tell me your unicorn behavior and tell me why it's loose leash walking. These varied responses, I think, reveal something about the way that we think about our dogs' training and behavior. So let's look at the first category the folks who said, I want my dog to stop chasing the cat, stop eating food off the counter, stop barking and lunging at other dogs. They didn't say what they wanted their dog to do. They didn't say what their unicorn behavior was. They said what their problem was. And I do think when we think of behavior problems as simply problems, rather than thinking, what is the solution? What would I like this dog to do instead? We often fail to get to that unicorn outcome that we are looking for and so if you're one of those people that you were thinking well my unicorn behavior is stop barking and lunging I want you to really think what does that mean what is that unicorn behavior is it walking next to me as another dog walks past is it doing a down stay as another dog walks past is it simply sniffing maintaining elucidation just going on an unstructured walk and allowing another dog to pass? What actually is it? And then once you know that answer, you can actually start to have a clear path towards fixing it, towards teaching that thing that is that unicorn behavior that you want. In this category, some folks said a concept that they wanted their dog to understand or a collection of behaviors they wanted their dog to have. So if the unicorn behavior answer was cooperative care which quite a few people said. I would push that answer and say cooperative care isn't a behavior. Cooperative care is a collection of behaviors depending on who you are and what you think about it. It might be a collection of emotional experiences or responses. It might be a communication system between you and the dog that's not about trained behaviors at all. So if cooperative care is your unicorn, you've got to really piece that apart and decide what are the behaviors that are here. And that will give you the power to actually teach them. Whereas if you just think of cooperative care as a unicorn over on a hill that you'll never get to, then it will remain mysterious to you. It will remain out of reach. The next category I find so funny and interesting, that people bothered to name behaviors that they then said they don't care about makes me think they're telling on themselves. It makes me think they do care. It makes me think they want that behavior, but they find the solution inaccessible to them for some reason. If that's true, Go back to that last category of people. Think about what you actually want the dog to look like. Think about what behavior you actually want the dog to be displaying. And then get to work. But if it is truly something that you don't care about, that maybe societal pressure tells you you should care about, I would urge you to let that go. Rhea likes to stand on my dining room table and look out the window. According to society, according to honestly the dog-owning public at large, that's naughty behavior that shouldn't be happening. But not only do I not care about it, I think she's cute and funny, and so teaching her not to do that is simply not on my radar. It's not a unicorn because I literally don't care. There was definitely a time in my life when I really coveted beautiful off-leash control. That's recalls, but as well as but downstays and and maintaining a good radius and everything that goes into that collection of behaviors. But I didn't covet it for very long. I got to work. I pieced it apart. I looked at what the behaviors were that I actually wanted to teach. And I got going teaching them. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I do feel like I've got that kind of figured out now. My dogs have really nice off-leash control. And that was through a lot of learning. I learned with my dogs. I learned with client dogs. And now... I recognize off-leash control as a suite of behaviors, each of which I need to teach, each of which I'm responsible for. Which brings me to the third category of people who said what their real unicorn was. They said, I want nice retrieves or a quiet hold. They said, I want a recall away from water or wildlife. They said, I want loose leash walking. If you can name your unicorn behavior and you can describe it, you can teach it. You don't have to come up with the answers on your own. I promise you somebody else has already taught it. You can find that person, you can pay them for help. There's also a ton of YouTube tutorials for free on all kinds of dog training stuff. You can go check those out. I would encourage you to make a list of the things that you wish your dog knew. And then check them off one by one as you teach them. It will make you a better trainer. It will help really enhance your relationship with that dog. And you will not be sorry. So go chase those unicorns. Tell them I sent you. And a few Patreon questions for you. The first one comes from Michael who writes, As my 17-month-old boy is definitely prone to distraction on our walks, I've been for several months now consistently marking and rewarding any and all eye contact slash check-ins he offers, which also tends to reinforce his hanging out closer to my side with a loose leash. Lately, it occurred to me if this might possibly ever start to poison the eye contact check-in experience for him. I know I don't always want food, even a high value that I love, put towards my face and wondered if he might possibly obviously at times feel the same. The last thing I would want is for him to have to think twice about looking to me for reassurance or guidance. Thoughts? Okay, Michael, so Let me try to make sure I understand your question. I think you're asking like, is is my bringing food to this dog's face going to potentially be a punisher for this behavior? Number one, of course, anything could potentially do that, but it sounds like you've got more frequent eye contact, more frequent check-ins, and a tighter radius and a looser leash. So it sounds like that's not happening and I don't think this is a concern. I would also, though, not be bringing the food to the dog's face. I would be having the dog come and get the food from you. Subtle difference, but essentially I would deliver the food right to my side where I wanted the dog to be in a cupped hand and let the dog come to my hand and eat it out of the hand rather than bringing the food to the dog's face between pinched fingers. Annalise wrote us a long question and then she very graciously wrote the TLDR. So the TLDR is, do you have tips for helping a sensitive dog be more okay with being boarded and is leaving them there for longer potentially a good or horrible plan? So Annalise, it's potentially good, but it's also potentially horrible. Dogs that are really sensitive to being boarded, which just heads up, most dogs are. Most dogs do not want to be in a boarding kennel. Most dogs do not want to be away from home and from you. Like this is a simply, simply a hard thing that we ask of dogs. And so I would love everybody to think a lot about it and a lot about whether it's like, okay. And whether, you know, I think we should all just be considering strongly how much we travel, et cetera. Basically, frequent short stays are probably going to do better than like big long stays. So if the dog needs to stay there periodically, then I'd make sure the dog stays there periodically for, you know, one or two nights. Preferably, it's a well-vetted place where the dog can have a positive experience. And do that frequently rather than once a year the dog is here for two weeks. That can cause a lot of stress, a lot of drama for the dog versus every couple of months or so, I make sure the dog spends two nights here and it's not a big deal. Of course, that's a suggestion. You'd need to try things and observe and respond based on your observations. The next one comes from McKenna. McKenna writes I am trying to become a dog trainer. I have an internship with a trainer in my town and also volunteer at a shelter for hands on experience. But I want some advice on courses. I saw on your website you did Susan Friedman's LLA course. Is this something you would recommend to someone starting out, or do you have any other recommendations? I'm trying to binge as many cheap webinars through FDSA and other sources that I can find, but I feel like I might need some more generalized dog behavior background. So McKenna, first of all, I wish there was a good answer to your question, but there isn't one. We do not have a clear path for education in our field. It is a problem, and I'm really thrilled that you are interning under somebody and also working at a shelter. That Those are fantastic ways to get Really good hands-on experience. Menteeing under under somebody. So getting into a mentorship, also a big deal. I don't know if the internship also has mentorship. So if you're just kind of there doing work, you know, doing grunt work and trying to learn, that's one thing. But if that person is talking to you, shaping you, growing you, that is a wonderful thing that doesn't exist in our industry in big numbers and a great thing to lean into. And then training those dogs at the shelter, teach them stuff. If you're just supposed to take them for a walk, also make sure that you're teaching them loose leash walking and other things. Like teach them stuff when you have them out. The LLA course is a behavior analyst course, uh, behavior analysis course, essentially. I do think it is a great thing to do, but it is not about dog behavior, and. It is not a standalone for teaching a dog trainer. I don't think you're expecting it to be a standalone, but it sounds like you're trying to kind of just grab everything you can, learn everything you can, and slap it all together. And so if you also grab that course and put it into the pot, that is a great ingredient to put in the pot. Other things you can do, there are courses for dog trainers that are available, and I would dig into just dog behavior in general. What's important is to kind of think about what kind of training you wanna do, what kind of trainer you wanna be, and then leaning into a pathway that supports that. So if you're very interested in clicker training, KPA has got their trainer course. If you are very interested in just being a boots on the ground dog trainer in people's homes or teaching classes, the Academy for Dog Trainers exists. If you are more interested in taking a kind of holistic approach and looking at behavior problems from a lot of different lenses. There is the legs course by Kim Brophy. I'm not endorsing or not endorsing any of these things. There are a lot of options. Figuring out kind of what you wanna be and how you want it to look is one way. And also look at every single thing you do very critically. So if you're grabbing a lot of webinars, fine. Those webinars are gonna vary in quality. So look at everything that you take with a really critical eye and make sure you're actually training dogs. You don't mention having any dogs of your own, which might mean that you don't, but also might mean that you do and you just didn't find it it worth mentioning, which is fine. I wanna make sure that you have a dog, preferably more than one, honestly. And that you're actively training them. Get involved in training. I love it when people get involved in training for sports because training to a kind of subjective set of standards is a really good experience for all trainers to have. So think of it all as this kind of big pot in which you are making dog trainer soup and what ingredients you want to go into this soup. Like this kind of soup is good soup. Like minestrone is good soup, but chicken noodle is also good soup. And you want to put the things in that are going to make the flavor of soup that you're actually interested in. And if you don't know yet, just keep learning, keep interning, keep working with those shelter dogs. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.